Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us, for this place uh, where we can gather freely to worship you, uh, for this congregation, brothers and sisters, that uh, are pressing in together uh, to your kingdom and to holiness. Help us in this Sunday school period to move forward in our walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so young children, this is your... And we are going to begin looking at the Confession, chapter 30, which is on page 930, 937 uh, in your hymnal. And so if you would like to turn in your hymnal to page 937, I would also like for you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, and could someone read for me verses 15 through 20? Matthew, eighteen fifteen through 20. So, did you stop at verse 20? Yes, read on down through verse 20, please. Now, I want you to pay attention to that verse 19 and 20. Where do you most often hear those verses? Uh, Folks that don't want to attend a regular church? church? No, I think that's accurate. In the context of prayer, if if two of you agree on anything, uh, then I will give it to them. Uh, and then that last verse, I often hear in the context of outside the church. Uh, you know, me and my friend meet at Panera Bread for coffee and devotions. And where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. That's, that's kind of the, 
general context in which I often run across verses 19 and 20. Either it's an excuse for why I don't need to go to church, because where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst, or it is thought of in the context of me and a couple of Christian brothers and sisters meeting at Panera Bread for bagels and prayer, or it's in the context of health and wealth gospel. Uh, if two of you agree on anything, I will give it to them. And so we agree together that God is going to bless us with whatever. And, and we've agreed, and God is now bound. That's generally the context in which I hear verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 18. So, that whole passage there, beginning in verse 15 is clearly about how to deal with sin. Your brother has something against you. There's something your brother has done. It's sin. And the way to deal with sin in the church. And do you see how I I wrote down these significant words that come out of those passages? Uh, The word of a charge. The word of witnesses. This is immediately legal language. This is a court. It's in a court that you hear charges, that you listen to the testimony of witnesses. This is a legal proceeding. And then when it's tell it to the church, the church is the one that is this body that is to pronounce censure. And that's the word we use. And and so chapter 30 is entitled, Of Church Censures. And so the church, Jesus says, is to pronounce this censure. Now, The other critical data that comes out of that passage, verses 15 through 20, is what is the relationship between the church's censure and Jesus Christ's action? He's very clear in that passage. Whatever... Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus says that the church censure that he calls for in Matthew chapter 18 for the unrepentant brother is directly, and this is where in the context where two or three are gathered together, he is there in the midst. When we are gathered together as the church in Christ's name, he is in our midst. And so what we pronounce in this context, Jesus binds heaven itself to the proclamation of the church. He says what the church declares, 
whether this person is repentant or unrepentant, heaven mirrors. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So that is so I, I would I would say yes there was a church at the time it's the uh, but but I think what you're saying is the New Testament church the the apostles the the structures that we see uh, clarified in the New Testament don't exist then at that time and yes in in a sense this is sort of prophetic uh, in that he's speaking to the disciples and he's instructing the disciples that's how Matthew 18 starts. Is is the disciples or the audience here, um, and and so I would agree that this is in a sense uh, prophetic, but I think also your point really ties in with the first section <laughs> of our confession, uh, chapter thirty there, which is the Lord Jesus as King and Head of His Church. And so we can't talk about church discipline. We can't talk about the pronouncements of the church apart from Jesus being the king and head. Uh, we, and, and so, a little bit of a side note. Um, our book of church order opens with the phrase, Jesus Christ is the only king and head of the church. And then it goes on to say, all church authority is ministerial and declarative. And what we mean by that is the authority that is in the church, that is in the offices of the church, is only to minister what Jesus ministers. And it's only to declare what Jesus declares. And so this is, uh, hopefully, <laughs> the way that we get out of uh, abuses of church authority. Uh, if, if I declare to the congregation, every one of you needs to cancel your Netflix subscription because Netflix uh, supports uh, LGBTQ uh, programming on their network and and all that sort of thing. So therefore, as, as the session of Sterling Presbyterian Church, we are saying to you, cancel Netflix, or else if we find out that you have Netflix, we're going to bring you up on church discipline. Your immediate response, whether you believe my position or not, your immediate response should be, hold up just a second. <laughs> Where does Jesus declare that we cannot engage in the world around us, that we cannot find, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I need to watch, what was that Netflix program, Cuties? You remember that? <laughs> 
It was horrible. It was actually pedophilia that was, that was going on as entertainment. Uh, it was it was horrible. Uh, so, you know, I have never watched an episode of Cuties. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. But for me to say, because Netflix put on that horrible program, therefore you and I are not allowed to watch, I don't know, what else is on Netflix? Uh, Friday Night Football or something. <laughs> we're, we're not allowed to watch something else on Netflix. Winnie the Pooh. Let's say Winnie the Pooh is on Netflix. Uh, because of Netflix association, you're not allowed to do it. I'm going beyond what Jesus Christ declares. Now, I think I can say that Jesus Christ declares that I should not be... So, let's take that Netflix example. Jesus Christ declares that I should not be watching pornography. That one's out. And, And as a representative of Jesus Christ... The session absolutely must say, if you're in porn, uh, if you're watching porn, you're in sin. Stop it. Don't do that. But there are other things on Netflix, and let's just take Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I have no business saying Jesus Christ says, do not watch Winnie the Pooh. That is not my right to say that. I may get into, and, and, and I hope in one sense you hear how ludicrous this is, because I'm intentionally picking a ludicrous example, but I hope you're also, you've been around it long enough to know that there are absolutely churches that do this stuff. <laughs> this is, there is always a desire for a person to make my wisdom, my conviction, my principle, your wisdom, your principle, your conviction. And that's where church authority has to stop. Church authority has to make this line between what Jesus Christ declares and what he doesn't declare. And I'll give you an example that is in the New Testament, and that is the issue of eating meat offered to idols. Do you remember when Paul brings that up? And and I think this is exactly the principle that is here with Netflix. Netflix, we could say, is meat offered to idols. And Paul's response would be, Netflix is nothing. There, 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 there is no God that is over Netflix. It's just entertainment. But if me watching Netflix and watching Winnie the Pooh on Netflix causes my brother to stumble, and my brother says, well, if you're watching Winnie the Pooh on Netflix, I can watch Cuties on Netflix, because clearly Netflix is okay, then he clearly is a weaker brother. And so for my weaker brother, I don't need to invite him over to my house, sit down and say, hey, let's watch a Netflix program. We can we can do other stuff over at my house. It doesn't mean I have to stop watching Netflix. 
it does mean that I need to be careful and loving and all of that towards my weaker brother, who, when he sees me watching Winnie the Pooh on Netflix, thinks, oh, well, it's okay to watch Cuties. Uh, and, and so th- this is... As, as long as we, the church, and the officers in the church are being very careful to only declare what God's Word declares and to only minister those things that God ministers, uh, the, the, the things that God gives to His church, we are those people who pass them along. So in other words, God gives His Word. He gives his word to his church. And so the most important part of me being a... Well, reverse. The second most important part of me being a minister is to declare his word, to teach his word in sermons, to to ground his word, ground Sunday school and and doctrinal teaching in his word, to be word-saturated. That's the second most important thing I have to do. The first most important thing I have to do is to pray. To pray intercessory prayers for each member of the congregation. To be praying regularly for people in my congregation. Uh, The most important thing that I'm called to do is to be an intercessor. uh, To to be in prayer regularly. uh, For my own holiness, for my wife, for my children, for my congregation... For, for all those people that God has placed me in a relationship with, <clears throat> my, my intercession uh, is my first and highest calling. But together with that, you can't divorce in, uh, prayer from proclamation, uh, the intercession from the teaching. Uh, the, these two things must go together very tightly. So... That's what we, as the officers of the church, have the right to do. Now, the question comes, then, what happens when it falls apart? What happens when, since I've written it up on the board, let's just run with this example. What happens when I know full well that a guy is given over completely to Internet pornography, that... He's married, he's got children, he's got all this stuff, but he says, you know what, my wife is no longer loving me, or she doesn't look as beautiful, or whatever, and this is a harmless release, and this is getting stuff out of my system that needs to get out of my system, and pastor, this is none of your business. I have a duty to declare what God declares, that fornication should not even be mentioned among you. (laughs) That we should be so pure that we recognize that looking upon a woman with lust in your heart is violating the seventh commandment. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. And that these things are absolute clear lines in the sand, and you need to stop it. You need to bring it to the cross. I'll help you. We'll go together on our knees. We'll meet regularly. We'll talk about the underlying issues. We'll talk about the implications 
of being given over to this sin, the way that it affects everything in your life. This is not just some little private thing that takes place between 11 p.m. and 11.10 when everybody's gone to bed. Uh, this is something that poisons your relationship with your wife, your children, your church, women in general. Uh, this is This is ugly, sinful, toxic, and it needs to stop. And I'll help you stop it. When the guy says to me, yeah, no, not your business, don't get in my home, this is, this is my arena, this is my space, then, following Matthew 18, we bring it to the session, we bring it to the church, we bring it to the officers that Christ has placed this authority in. Now, the question is, how many times have you heard of church discipline Man, this is the worst eraser on the planet. I need, I need to be like Jeremy and get those PowerPoint things. PowerPoint doesn't have this problem. <laughs> um, how many times have you heard of someone whom the church has said, this person is an unrepentant sin, And either they will change or they will be cut off from the church. They will be excommunicated. How many times have you heard in that scenario of someone dropping on their knees and going, God forgive me, please don't cut me away from the church? And we're thinking of the exact same situation. How about anybody else? In my pastoral experience, and I've been an ordained minister now, uh, interestingly, next year uh, I will be have been ordained in the ministry for 20 years. Next year is my 20th anniversary of ordination. And in 20 years of ministry, it's happened once that I've seen. In, in, my, in my experience, one time. Now, how many people have we as a session had that conversation with? I would guess probably seven or eight over the past ten years. I've been at Sterling 11 years now. 11, 11 12, 11. <laughs> a bunch of years. <laughs> I've been at Sterling 11 years. We've had that conversation with, I don't know, six, seven, eight different people. And one time, I've seen someone, when that clarity was placed before them, just go, oh, I repent. And it's glorious to see. It, it is a glorious thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that God has given me that one, because otherwise I would be completely cynical about church discipline at all. <laughs> I would be completely cynical about it. 
Now, I think the reason is, and I, I think maybe this has something to do with the Protestant Reformation, maybe it has something to do with American uh, Protestantism, because certainly in England you've got the parish model, and so, you know, Sterling Presbyterian Church is going to be the parish church that everybody in this area goes to. Uh, and so if you're going to get cut off, there's going to be an, uh, an impact in terms of your relationships in the community and that sort of thing. But the American model is basically, well, up yours, I'm going to go find a church I like. That's exactly correct. Uh, which, uh, yeah, you're you're uh, you're already guessing the next section of chapter thirty. But you're right. The purposes of discipline are number one. Well, that's right. That's exactly correct. And section 3 says that. Church censures are necessary. Sorry? Okay. <laughs> well, here's 3. <laughs> Church censures are necessary for reclaiming and gaining of offending brothers, for deterring others from like offenses, for purging out of that leaven which might infect the whole lump, so it's, it's purging out the sin that if we allow it to remain is going to infect the entire church. Uh, was that number three or four? Anyway, the next one. <laughs> uh, for, the vind- for vindicating the honor of Christ. This is Christ's church. And you say that you are united to him. He says, don't do this. We will not tolerate what Jesus Christ says do not do. For the honor of Christ... We are going to draw this line in the sand. Uh, And the holy profession of the gospel, and for preventing the wrath of God, which might justly fall upon the church. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so the, the, the purposes of this are not just the brother or the sister that's sitting in front of us. I'm, I'm so thankful for that one occasion. When I saw a brother who, or a sister who was brought up to that line and repented, uh, and, and the life was transformed. But even in those other times, when I've said this to a person, man, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mention examples, but when, when I've said this to a person, when the session, I, I, I don't mean to be saying I as if, I'm the bishop. When, when the session has instructed me, we've all agreed and I've been instructed to say this to the person. When the session has said this to the person and they've uniformly, with the one exception, <laughs> they've uniformly responded with, up yours. I'm going to go to another church. You are not the boss of me. 
Jesus knows my heart. I'm together with Jesus. I'm walking away from this. That's right. That's right. And that's one thing, you know, Paul mentions in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 5. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, In 1 Corinthians 5, he says, this brother that has been put out of the church, what are you doing treating it like it's no big deal? I've told you not even to eat with somebody like that. Uh, and, And sadly, we kind of turn that into the practice of shunning uh, but I think the don't even eat with someone like that is, is the table of fellowship. I think it's, we, so, so I've had this, I've had this, com- okay, I'm like, where am I on time? I've, okay, <laughs> yeah, I was good, oh my goodness, I'm way off. Okay, so I'll say this and then I'll stop, because I think this is a worthwhile discussion. Plus, we need a clean whiteboard <laughs> before I write anything more on it. Um, okay, so I've had this conversation. Someone has a relative that has been excommunicated, and properly so. And he is struggling. Should I even have this relative over for Thanksgiving dinner? Uh, I'm wanting to be faithful. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I've told you, don't even eat with such a one. Should I just say to this relative, I'm sorry, you're not welcome in my home for Thanksgiving dinner. I'm following 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What Paul says, you should treat him as an unbeliever. And so... What we need to do, I think, is say, what would I do to an unbeliever? How would I interact with an unbeliever? Well, certainly I would show them hospitality. I I want unbelievers in my home. Jesus Christ was condemned because he ate with sinners. Uh, I, I, I certainly want them in my home. I want to press them with the gospel But every conversation that we have that is in any way remotely spiritual, I need to make clear that, you know, buddy, you and I are not on the same page here. Uh, And and I want you to be on my page. You know, I want to continue to witness to them as if they are an unbeliever. So I don't think 1 Corinthians 5 teaches what we know as shunning. But... At the same time, 1 Corinthians 5 says, we don't just say, oh, this is okay. There, there, there should be some tension there. And it should be, frankly, the same tension that my friend who is Muslim regularly feels when they're coming into my home. I want my Muslim friend in my home. I want, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray in Christ's name. I'm going to, in my natural conversations, I'm going to mention, uh, the grace of God versus the works. Uh, principle of, of, you know, I'm going to mention Christ and, and, and all of these things. I'm going to, it, I hope winsomely, gently, but persistently, I'm going to be kind of hitting, you and I are not the same here. Uh, 
And I think, I think the problem that you point out is we don't do that. Uh, we just treat it like, oh, well, you left that church, you're bebopping around. Uh, you're fine, this is not me to say. Um, so, so let me wrap this up because this is where I was wanting to go with it. I think one of the reasons that people take church discipline so lightly is because while we are sitting in the church, we're not really hearing as clearly this message. So that when push comes to shove, we've not really understood what Scripture teaches. We've not really understood what the church is saying about this. And therefore, we just treat it lightly. Oh, this is just some bureaucrats or, you know, this is just some guys. This is That's not what Jesus says in Matthew 18. Uh, Jesus says that what you bind on earth, I bind in heaven. And what you loose on earth, I loose in heaven. And and so I think I think it's helpful for us to have a really clear sense of this this nature of church discipline and and of the censure. So I'll stop there. I've obviously run way long, and obviously we'll pick this up again, Lord willing, next week. But uh, I do think this is a very fruitful uh, conversation. So let me, let me close with prayer, and then we can uh, have our fellowship. Father, uh, we do thank you that Jesus is the king and head of the church, because, Lord, we would mess it up so badly. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that as we see the serious implications of what that means, that his bride is called to be holy and beautiful, to not allow sin. Uh, to stain us or define us, then, Father, would you help us to walk faithfully before you. In Christ's name, amen.